Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, and it's an incredible Sunday to do something like what we just did because you come off of a holiday called Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day. Should be Thanksgiving every day, right? We know that. But there's something about gratitude. I was sharing this in our pre-service with our team members, that there's something about gratitude that postures the heart. It's not gratitude that receives the miracle. It's gratitude that stewards the miracle. Gratitude is not how I receive it. It's how I believe in where it came from. And it keeps me in a posture to believe that he'll do it again. There's something about a grateful heart. You remember the example of the Israelites in the wilderness. The water came out of the rock as a result of their grumbling and complaining. The seas were parted even though they were so fearful that the army behind them was going to come and chase them down and kill them before they made it across. In spite of the fear, and in spite of the anxiety, and in spite of the grumbling, God still worked, and God still performed, and God still delivered, and God still uh, brought the miracles that only God can do. But their heart wasn't postured to believe that the one that parted the Red Sea, the one that brought the water out of the rock, the one that put the manna on the ground, was also the one that could help them overcome in the promised land. And ultimately, it cost them. I heard someone say one time that complaining is partnership with the devil. I heard another person say that worry is temporary atheism. These are sobering statements and sobering thoughts, but fear, anxiety, worry that erode into a grumbling and complaining heart rather than a grateful and thankful heart doesn't allow us to press on and see what is yet to be accomplished and what is yet to be done because there's still a road ahead of us. As I just said earlier, we're not a church that preaches an avoidance of trials. We are a a church that preaches the endurance through trials so that we can see the ultimate victory. And I've said it before that uh, we're going to have to learn to become comfortable in crisis. Nobody welcomes these things and nobody, um, you know, wants these things in their lives. Of course not. But if you want the miracles, then there's got to be a test. If you want the faith of Abraham, then, you know, everyone wants the faith of Abraham, but no one desires the test of Abraham. But you don't get the faith of Abraham without the test of Abraham. You don't get the faith of a father of many nations without the testing of, I'm going to call nations out of you and you're too old to produce children and you're married to a woman that's never produced children. The deck is stacked against you. So the level of the faith that is produced is directly correlated 
by the level of the trial that we endure. So we've got to learn that the life, the Christian life, the overcoming life, there's no overcoming if there's no enemy, right? There's no victory if there's no battle. Hello, there's no resurrection if there isn't first death. We learn to live in that tension. We learn to live in that space where I can have both, but ultimately I have the last say. God has the last say. I know the end of the book. I know I win. I know I overcome. I know what the report of the Lord is. I remind you that Caleb and Joshua did not deny that there were giants in the land. They just refused to let them have the last word. They didn't deny that the cities were greatly fortified and were going to be tough to overcome. They just refused to believe that they were going to be stuck on the outside. Amen. Why? Because they went into the promised land with the report of victory. They went into the promised land with the report that my report's greater than anything I see in there. You guys, you're not going in to get a report this week. You're going in with a report this week. Hello. Amen. First Corinthians chapter nine says this, verse 24. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? This is what it says. Run in such a way. Everyone say such a way. Run in such a way to win the prize. You know, sometimes we make so much of the race of faith in this life of Christianity, this, this forward progress. You know, I, I think one of the, the, the biggest threats that the enemy brings to the church is it's okay for us to become stagnant. It's okay for us to become just apathetic in our process, in, in our movement forward. That the enemy will allow us to do religious formality as long as it doesn't produce any forward progress. It's like as long as we stay stuck where we're at, as long as we're wandering the wilderness for 40 years, come on, as long as we go through the motions that are never really producing any energy or any effort for the kingdom of God. But, and, and the deceptive part is we think we're moving forward when we're not going anywhere. It's like a hamster wheel. You can burn yourself out on a hamster wheel. You can burn yourself out on a treadmill, but ultimately you're not making any progress. And you know what? You'll wear yourself out not making any progress. No, this writer says, Paul says, run in such a way. It's not just running that's going to get us across. It's running in such a way. How we run is just as important as the running. I think we need some more encouragement in this arena, some more uh, uh, effort and some more emphasis in this arena that there is a such a way. There is a such a way to run. Run in such a way to win the prize. You know what that competitive nature looks like. You know what that drive looks like. You know what that effort looks like. I'm not trying to, to come in last. I'm not just trying to cross the line. You know, I'm one of those. I don't want to do it if I can't be the best. That's why I'm not doing fantasy football again next year. I did it last year. I, I, I came in second, went to the Super Bowl and lost. So I was like, man, I, 
I got this. That's my first year ever doing it. I didn't even know what I was doing when I was drafted. This year, I had the number one uh, draft of the whole thing because that's it, it gives you it grades your draft and I had an A plus and I'm in ninth out of twelfth place right now and I'm one of those if I can't be the best I ain't gonna do it at all I'm not just in this just you know I've been given way you can ask my wife I've been given way too much care and attention she's like you've never watched this much football and you're like I said my guys are out there. I need my team. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can through the TV, trying to push my energy. I need another touchdown. Don't throw it to that guy. Throw it to that guy. I ain't doing so hot this year. I ain't doing it again next year. I, nope. I'm not cut out for this. No, I'm, I'm playing in such a way. I, I, I You know, I, I can't just casually just show up. You know, our young adults last week, they had a pickleball tournament. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't that fun, guys? Where's our champs? I need to, where's my champ? There's one, Lydia. And oh yeah, Aaron's standing up. He's like, I'm in the back, but you're going to see me today. Yeah, we got them trophies and everything. Aaron and Lydia took home the top spot. They, they played in such a way. Undefeated undefeated all the way through. It was a great time. But you can tell those ones that are like, man, I, I've been out. You know, some of them were out there. I think Wednesday night last week after church, they went to the pickleball courts in the rain and in the cold practicing. They, they took this thing serious. They played in such a way. But, you know, it, 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 it changes your preparation. When I recognize I'm not just running to run, I got to run in such a way. I'm not just not just casually going through this life of Christianity, this life of bringing the kingdom to the earth. I've got to do this in such a way. And so he says, run in in such a way to win, to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes, verse 25, exercises self-control in everything. When you look at an athlete, Look at someone that's competing for something. Don't just look at what they do. Look at what they don't do. Look at what they don't engage. Look at what they don't eat. Look at who they don't hang around with. What you don't do in times like this is just as important as what you add and what you you are doing with your life. It's just as important. There's got to be a a pruning, if you will, a cutting off, if you will. He says, they live with a self-control and everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown, meaning if they can do it for something that doesn't mean anything that's just temporary, how much more ought we to give our effort and our emphasis and um, our identity to what we are striving for when you run in such a way? So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly. Come on, aimless Christianity is just as dangerous as no Christianity. With no goal in mind. Or at least not God's goal in mind. We need to keep God's interest at heart. We talked about this last week. My interests need to align with his. 
My values need to align with his. I need to honor what the king honors, and I don't honor what the king doesn't honor. I don't accept what he doesn't accept. I don't tolerate what he doesn't tolerate. Amen? So we've got to have this within us, not running aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body. This is not what we want to be reading after gorging ourselves over Thanksgiving. I picked the wrong text. I'm sorry, guys. I, <clears throat> I should have saved this for January. Right? Everyone renews their gym membership and you fizzle off by the middle of February. I'm, I'm reading this in the wrong season. I, I need to know my calendar a little better. I discipline my body. I bring it under strict control, he says, so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Pastor Earl used to tell this this all the time in leadership and in ministry. You're the only one that can disqualify yourself. No one else has the right or the authority to disqualify you. You can't blame your, your, your failure or um, not uh, cutting off or not addressing or not finishing on anybody else. He would tell us all the time, I don't place you here. He was very intentional. <clears throat> I remember, you know, in, in 2004, uh, when I first got the call to, to move from Texas to St. Augustine, Florida to, to help with the church there. And, and I remember... Um, He was very intentional. He was not going to call me. He wasn't going to ask me to come, even though he knew about me through uh, Pastor Marcus, our worship pastor down there. Uh, We were friends in Bible school. That was the connection. And even he could have said, man, you know, you know, a drummer, you know, someone that wants to be in ministry, you know, someone that, 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 that feels called. Man, Let me give me his number. Let me, he wouldn't do it because he was very clear. I'm not drawing you. The Holy Spirit is. And if I didn't bring you here, I can't dismiss you either. Now, of course, he can by the Holy Spirit. If I'm failing, if, I'm, if there's something wrong, then sure, he can address that as my pastor. He has that authority in my life. But ultimately, what I, what, what I know God's called me to do, what you know God's called you to do, you will be accomplished on what you do. And if you arrive at what God's calling you to do. Nobody else has the authority to disqualify you, derail you, dismiss you, not even the devil. You can't blame that stuff on the devil. Because when God calls you, when God appoints you, when God assigns you, I mean, even Jesus knew this. They could not touch him before his time. He knew it's not time yet. I still got, he walked right through the midst of them. They're ready to throw him over a cliff. He just walked right through the midst of them. Can't touch me. Can't touch my assignment. Can't touch my call. That's why Jesus said, I lay my life down voluntarily. They did not take my life. I laid it down. They only took it because I let them. And it goes the same for us. Paul is making sure I'm not disqualified at the end of this thing. I'm going to run in such a way. I'm going to have the self-control. I'm going to have the discipline. I'm going to put the things into practice. Discipline is not knowing what to do. It's the applying of what to do. Hello. 
I grew up in the 90s where every other infomercial was some type of workout equipment to make a, a workout you know, easier and simpler. And, you know, it ended up with things that would literally shake on your body, burning off fat, I guess. I mean, we're always looking for the path of least resistance, aren't we? We're always looking for a maximum result from a minimal investment. Let me put in as little and still get out as much as I can. But no, the discipline isn't sitting in front of a, of a commercial watching somebody and knowing what to do. It's the actual application of it. It's the actual putting it into practice in your life so it can produce those results. The Passion Translation reads it this way. Isn't it obvious that all runners on the racetrack keep on running to win, but only one receives the victor's prize? Yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. This doesn't mean that we're in competition with one another. He's talking about your efforts. How are you progressing? How are you driving on? How are you enduring? How are you pressing through? How are you continuing to proceed and progress with what God's called you to do? A true athlete will be disciplined in every respect, practicing constant self-control in order to win a laurel wreath that quickly withers, but we run our race to win a victor's crown that will last forever. For that reason, I don't run just for exercise or box like one throwing aimless punches, but I train like a champion athlete. I subdue my body and get it under my control so that after preaching the good news to others, I myself won't be disqualified. The life of the believer is always advancing. That's actually a motto here at Anchor Faith Church. We believe that the kingdom is always advancing. We believe the church ought to be always advancing. And there are many temptations to stall out. Many temptations just to simply go through the motions especially when you endure trials and challenges. There's plenty of times to think I was better off when I wasn't in faith. You know, we tell you this all the time, that you become responsible for what you hear. And so it can be easy to to say, you know what? My life was better before I knew that. (laughs) My life was better before I went to that church. My life was better before I got in the kingdom. No, it wasn't any better. You just got something worth fighting for now. You've just armed yourself, and you don't arm yourself to just casually go through the motions. You arm yourself to now endure and fight through and fight off whatever may try to come against you, and not just what's coming against you. You got to remember, you're not on the defensive. You're on the offensive. We should be waging war against the enemy. You know, we've been saying this for a little while here uh, at Anchor Faith Church. We're not just trying to find people we can go to church with. We need to find those we can go to war with. There's a fight and a battle on our hands. There's a, there's a war that we are assigned to address. And ultimately, when you came into the kingdom, that's what you signed up for. Put on the armor. There's a fight of faith. Paul used this terminology many times, talking about a race, talking about a fight. 
Nothing in, in Paul's uh, scriptures and Paul's writings does he ever give a casual approach to what the life in the kingdom looks like. Never does he give a casual approach of you pray to prayer. You know, we, we gear people up with that. We start with, if you died today, do you know where you would go? We start with the end. We start with nothing really matters between the repentance prayer and death and going to heaven. We leave this huge gap in between, and we don't know how to address that gap. We don't know how to address that area of what am I supposed to do with my life while I'm still down here? And I know the other version's way easier to swallow. The other versions, it feels way better. Don't worry about what's going on. Trials and tributes, he's going to beat your brains in for 42 years, but when you finally get to the streets of glory, when you finally get over to the other side, we condition people this way with no real answers and solutions for, well, what am I supposed to be doing here? You know, everybody's searching for that purpose. Everybody's searching with, what does my life mean? What am I supposed to be doing? Who am I? What am I called to do? Everybody, the, the, the billionaire in the penthouse and the homeless man under the bridge are asking the same question. What am I doing? Why am I here? Who am I? They're asking all these same questions. And so if you try to live a life of avoiding if you try to live a life of going around and circumventing, you're missing your purpose because you were designed to conquer. You were designed to win. And so when we don't fight to win, and when we don't run to win, and when we don't live to win, there's something missing. There's a void in our lives because you were designed to conquer. You were designed to overcome one after the other after the other. Not just get over this hurdle and then, man, everything's going to be great and glorious. But there might be one after the other. And God knows how to sustain you in all of it. We just sing about it. We just sing about it. After the Red Sea comes thirst. After thirst comes hunger. After hunger comes direction. After direction comes, how do we get into that territory? And how do we take that land? And you need God in the midst of all of it. One thing after another. You watch the, the, the if you read the book of Joshua, usually the only battle that we talk about is the battle of Jericho. But there were a whole lot of battles after that. That was just the first one. There were more cities to conquer. There are more things to take. And this really is the right time of year to be addressing this because this is a time of year where a lot of people begin to reflect, look back. You know, I read a statistic years ago when we were first starting ministry that changed my whole perception of this season or this time of year, which obviously for believers ought to be a year of excitement. And a year of, man, look what God has done. And of course, it's Christmas and gift giving and, and, and gift receiving and the birth of Jesus. But I read a statistic that says that this is actually one of the most depressing times of the year for people. Because they look back and they see disappointment. They look back and they are discouraged. Maybe it's filled with regret. Maybe we didn't have the greatest of years. And so you walk into December, which with 
which should be a rejoicing season and a, and a, and a, a, a season of being excited, it's actually more filled with discouragement, disappointment, and doubt that the next year will be any different. But this is where we have to run that race in such a way. The enemy loves stagnant churches. The enemy loves stale churches. The enemy loves churches that just go through the motions. The enemy loves churches that are just barely getting along. Let me tell you something. God did not do all that he did. Jesus did not suffer and endure all that he did so you could barely make it by the skin of your teeth. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. He's the God of exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. I was just talking about that with Chase. We're not just believing for just the bare minimum. Just take this thing away. No, there will be no destruction. There will be nothing that is left halfway that we're going to have to wear glasses and we're going to deal with this and that complication. And when you have that surgery, it's not going to leave you with 10 other problems. That's what the enemy would love for you to, to live in and think. That's not how God operates. God is more than enough. He supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. Not my riches, not the world's riches, not the surgeon's riches, not the doctor's riches. And they may say things like, well, you should just be thankful you're alive. And there's some truth in that. But the enemy would love to keep you there. Wandering in a wilderness, at least I'm not in Egypt. But yet there's a promised land waiting for you. Yet there's conquering waiting for you. Yet there's overcoming waiting for you. I want to give you three things today that will hinder progress. Because I want us, say this with me, say end well. Say finish strong. See, we can't be satisfied with just ending. We want to end well. We can't be satisfied with just finishing. We need to finish strong. And let me just tell you, this is a season of transition. And I live by this principle. I live by it in my leadership. I live by it in my home. I live by it in my ministry. I live by it in my life. How you end one thing is how you start the next. I live by that. December is a transitional period because you're ending one thing, but you're gearing up to start the next thing. It's not just about dragging along and barely making it. Well, I didn't save $5,000 like I wanted to, but at least I got 1000 we got to change our perspective on these things. How can I finish the best that I can? And, 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 and sometimes I think believers, we live in the lie, we believe the lie that finishing is as good as finishing well, and it's just not the case, not with God. Not when he says run in such a way. When I run, I, I run in my neighborhood, And when I run, when I turn the corner back onto my street, that's the fastest I go the entire time. That's just something I do. Obviously, I'm pacing myself throughout, depending on how many miles I'm wanting to run. But when I turn that corner, I I ramp it up, man. And I think that's how we ought to be finishing things in the kingdom of God. 
That's how we ought to be finishing things in the kingdom of God. Don't finish this year sluggish and dragging. Let this be the fastest pace you've run all year in the next 30 days. 33 days, whatever's left. Let this be where you ramp it up and you say, not trying to make up for what's behind. You forget what's behind. Isn't that what Paul said? I'll look ahead. He said, I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher. God doesn't just start stuff and then leave it up and say, well, let's just see how it winds up. No, he starts it and he finishes it and he completes it. He will complete. He will complete. And so we need to take this time now, the rest of this year, I'm going to finish well. I'm going to finish strong. This is going to be the strongest month I have. This is going to be the strongest 30, the, 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 the strongest 33 days of this year is going to be right now. We can do that. I said we can do that. But there are hindrances. There are things that we'll have to address. Number one is what it was. What it was. Exodus chapter 14, speaking of these Israelites, in verse 10 it says, As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, It is because, or is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now, wait a minute. Egypt was a place of slavery and bondage. Egypt was a place of torment. Egypt was not a comfortable place. Egypt was not a place of abundance. Egypt was not a place where we had everything going our way. Why would we want to give that up? But I have found when you're in a real faith test, the past becomes real desirable. I mean, a real faith test. That you start looking back and it becomes more attractive than the future that's in front of you. Because the future has tests. No, there weren't any tests in Egypt. It was just living at the hand of the taskmasters doing whatever Pharaoh told you to do. There was no say. There was no decision-making. You ate what they told you to eat. You slept where they told you to sleep, when they told you to sleep. You lived under their thumb. Of course, when you're in slavery, you want out. But you'll find that when you really start walking with God and start living the life he's called you to, all of a sudden, the past starts calling. You start saying, well, man, when I was back there, I didn't have this problem. I didn't have this challenge. It's amazing how that works. I mean, we read through these verses on the Israelites, but we do the same things. We do the same things. We repeat these same principles. Verse 12, isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die 
in the wilderness. Verse uh, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2. The entire Israelite community grumbled. Of course, we know in verse in chapter 14, they're up against the Red Sea. We know God brings them across the Red Sea on dry ground. You think that that would change their outcome, right? Or at least their outlook. Verse 2 says, uh, Exodus chapter 16, the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Watch this. When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Isn't that amazing? When you're in slavery, you don't think it's that great. But then when you get out and you start pressing on and, 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 and living toward the things that God's calling you, all of a sudden you start remembering the good old days. As a believer, you've had to prune and cut off a lot of your uh, improper relationships and friendships. So you start thinking back, well, when I was running in that group, I had plenty of friends. Yeah, but they were all just as depressed as you were. They were all just as drunk as you were. They were all just as lost as you were. It was blind leading the blind, but at least you were surrounded with people. You start thinking about the, well, at least I had. (laughs) Isn't this amazing? Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Exodus chapter 17. Exodus Chapter 17, verse 1, the entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? A desire for what was will keep you from what is yet. If we continue to end up in these seasons of transition where progression, moving forward, proceeding and walking out the things that God has called us to and assigned us to. If we keep, every time we come up against an obstacle, think, well, at least last year I didn't have, and at least at that church I didn't have, and at least when this was going on, I did. If we keep looking with a past tense vision, only seeing the way things used to be. It will compromise our ability to walk out what is what God has yet to do in our lives. And every miracle they engaged and every uh, uh, Red Sea that they crossed should have stirred up more faith for the next challenge. Should have said, you know what? He brought us through a Red Sea. He parted waters. Surely he can bring water. Hello? Well, he quenched my thirst. Certainly he can quench my starvation. 
It should have been, it should have propelled them forward. It should have been something that moved them and advanced them, not slowed them down and kept them stuck. Stagnant, stale, wandering around for 40 years, grumbling and complaining. No, we're going to have to forget about what it was. I'll tell you, when you you start walking these faith journeys, when you start progressing through what God is calling us to, you can, if we're not careful, build up a resentment toward blessing. That the thing you prayed about yesterday is the thing you complain about tomorrow. You prayed for this. You asked God for this. But with the blessing comes the challenge. With the, you know, I, I, you know, children. Having children. There are people that struggle or can't have children. They pray for, well, when you get that child. Oh, they turn two. They don't skip that. The terrible, I mean, the terrific twos. Right? There's always a challenge that comes with the blessing. We have to keep a forward focus, a forward attention. I didn't have to deal with this when I didn't, but you didn't have what you were believing for. You didn't have what you were praying for. You didn't have what you were standing for. Amen. What it was. Number two, what it is. If the devil can't trap you with the way it was, he'll try to trap you with the way it is. Second Corinthians chapter four tells us in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not give up. Everyone say, do not give up. Yeah, we do not give up. Man, that, that's, that's the key for the believer. To withstand, to continue to stay in, to not lay down. We've said it before. It's not failing that will stop you. It's quitting. A righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. You'll fall, you'll falter, you'll fail, but you got to get back up. You got to keep the faith. You got to keep rising to the occasion. I'm not quitting. The only way you can be defeated is if you quit, stop, stall out, lay down. You get back up. We get back up. We do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. Paul says this in verse 17, for our momentary light affliction. Now, I know that we would all like to say, um, Paul, you don't uh, apparently know my life. I I appreciate you trying to give me encouragement. Um, But this is not a light affliction. This is a big deal. 
And Paul's not trying to make light of our issues. But Paul is writing this from a jail cell, having endured some pretty real affliction, some pretty real challenges, some pretty real issues, right? His life is constantly on the line. He basically lives his life on the run and continues preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But he says in, in, in context, in the big picture, in, in light of everything happening, this is a momentary light affliction. And this is what it's doing, guys. If we have the right perspective, it's producing for us. Wow. What is your momentary affliction producing in you? What is being developed? In, is it patience? Is it faith? Is it the character of God? Is it a renewed reliance and dependence upon his presence? What could it be? What is he producing? Why do we only see what momentary light affliction is taking? You could easily write about what the momentary light affliction is reducing. And he says, no, 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 it's producing for your benefit, for your good. He's doing something for you, producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. This is what he says in verse 18. This is it. We do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen, is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, this is the deal, is there's a difference, we've talked about it before, between sight and vision. Sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. And the issue and the challenge and the tension is, is that when I look with sight, with my eyes, I see what it is. But when I look with vision, with the eyes of my heart, and my eyes fixed on what God has said and what God has promised, even though it doesn't look like it in the natural, I know it lies ahead for me in the spiritual. And so vision has a way of seeing what cannot yet be seen. So a lot of times we say things like, I'll believe it when I see it. But God wants to turn that around. He says, no, no, no. You'll see it when you believe it. You'll see it out here when you believe it in here. When you get the word of God in you so real that you're living as if it has already taken place. Joshua and Caleb said, we do not focus I'm not denying, I'm ignoring. There's a difference. It's one thing to get a natural report and say, no, there's nothing there. No, you say, okay, well, that's your prognosis. That's what you see, but I see something that overrides this report. That's the difference. I'm not denying, I'm not saying you're wrong. You're a doctor, you're a medical doctor. You know what you're talking about. You've done your test, you've done it. I get it, I understand, but I've got another report. I've got the word of the Lord. 
Joshua and Caleb, again, did not deny that they were giants. They just said, we got a word that overcomes them. That's why we encourage people, when you go to the doctor, you get a name. Don't be fearful of that. I've watched people die in illness and sickness because they lived in denial and never had an opportunity to put their faith on what the issue and the challenge was. Kenneth E. Hagin never recommended that. Not once recommended that. The father of faith and the general of faith that he was never once recommended, don't go to a doctor, you don't need them, don't take medicine, don't do these procedures, don't listen to the doctor. Never once said anything. You follow the inward witness. You follow what the, this is why we got to teach people to be led by the spirit, not by man's formulas and patterns. It's very dangerous. Jesus healed blind men and he never healed one of them the same way. There's God's will, it's healing, but then there's God's way. How does he want you to access? How does he want you to, to, to see this thing overcome? At the end of the day, the conclusion is we win. At the end of the day, the conclusion is we have victory. We've got a word of the Lord on this thing. He took stripes on his back for my healing. Whether it's immediately, whether it takes a while, whether it takes some time, whether I have to do this or take that or whatever. We don't put our faith in formulas and patterns and practices. It's the faith in God. It's faith in his word. And so with that, I'm living with this capacity for vision, not denying what I see, but seeing with a different set of eyes that sees that overcome. Maybe you're in this room and, and, and this was the year your marriage was being restored. This was the year you were going to see that completed. Maybe this was the year you were going to see that restored, reconciled, made one, made complete. This was the year. I'm standing, I'm believing. And maybe you're further away from that today than you were January 1st. Doesn't matter. Which eyes are you seeing with? And you will have to pass up many opportunities to live by sight rather than vision. Oh, they'll be right around the corner every time. They're usually right as soon as you walk out of these doors. We preach vision. We preach vision. We give you vision, 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 vision. And you get out there in sight. This is what it looks like. He still talks to you that way. He still treats you that way. She's still not doing that. She still won't do this. The enemy would love for you to live by and succumb to a life of sight. But we don't believe in what we see. We believe in what we don't see. That's walking by faith. The evidence of faith is not seeing it produced here. The evidence of faith is believing in something that has not yet taken place. The Passion Translation reads, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, so no wonder we don't give up. I love that. It's not the nature of the believer to give up, give in, lay down. No, we don't give up. Even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. 
We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. Where are we fixing our gaze? Where are we setting our sights? Where are we choosing to ignore? I'm not focusing on it. I'm not giving it attention. I'm not giving it. You, you, let, me, let me put it this way. You will never overcome a poor thought life with a good prayer life. That's how important your thoughts are. If the mind wasn't, if the mind wasn't important, it wouldn't need to be renewed. Y'all with me? If your thoughts weren't important, you wouldn't need to be renewing them day by day on the inside out. You can go all of the pray, you can go to all the prayer meetings, all the conferences, all the crusades. If you don't change your thought life, there is no substitute for addressing the thought life. And where your thoughts want to go every time is what it is. But this is what it looks like. This is what they said. This is how they said it was going to turn out. This is what they said would happen. This is what they're still doing. What it is cripples what it could be. All right, so number one, what it was will keep you from moving forward what it is. Number two, will keep you from moving forward. Number three, what you thought it would be. Well, Pastor Martin, you just told me to fix my thoughts. Yes. But we can't allow our expectation to become a limitation. What does he say? He tells us, I will do exceedingly abundantly. All that you what? Ask or? But many times, because we preach so much on faith and expectation, expectation and believing, we process that so much that it becomes the box within which God has to operate. We ministered on Naaman last week, didn't we? And wasn't it? Naaman's own words showed us right there in 2 Kings. His own words. Well, I thought the televangelist would stretch his hand out over my head, anoint me with oil. I thought he would come out here. He sends a messenger. He shows up with his army. He shows up with his team. He shows up with his money. He shows up with his clothes. He shows up with his reputation. He shows up with his, all of his natural glory. Well, I thought. And then on top of that, your instruction is to go and dip in the dirtiest river around here seven times? That's your solution? Pack it up. We're going home. This guy's a false prophet. And what did his servant, thank God for the servants. What what did his servant say? Master, if he had asked you to do a hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? So how much more the easy thing? It was his expectation that became a limitation. 
well, I'm going to show up with this, and I'm going to bring that, and I'm going to, he's going to, I'm going to offer him this. He's going to be blown away by who I am. He's going to come out. He's going to meet me. He's going to wave his hand. That's what he said. He's going to wave his hand over me, and I'll be cured. That's all great until God wants to exceed that. That's all great until God wants to blow out of the box. That's all great until your expectation becomes this is exactly how, and all of a sudden now, God becomes an instrument at your hands rather than you being an instrument in his hands. And we play God. No, I know what the outcome is. I know what the conclusion is. I know where I'm going to stand in faith and believe. I know what my expectation is, but I'm not going to allow that to cripple what real faith looks like. Because if we only put faith in the formula, then our faith isn't ever really in God. It's in the situation. We're trusting in the situation more than we're trusting in God. I remember in Bible school, you know, it's nothing like getting Christian single people around each other. It's Rama Bible Training Center, but we termed it Rama Bridal Training Center. And all the super spiritual guys and girls, it's both sides. I'm going to find my spouse. I'm going to find my mate. And we're going to do this. And it's going to happen like this. And they're going to come. And and it's just stupidity. You're telling God how you're going to find the the person you're going to do life with. We had friends of ours here that I went to Bible school. They were here just a few months ago. And and his story was kind of like that. He said, yeah, you know, he went back to his pastor back home. He's like, yeah, I've met this girl. But, you know, I, I, I came out here to, to learn about God. I came out here to learn ministry. And, and so I'm not dating her. We're, 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 we haven't even exchanged phone numbers. We've talked a little bit here and there. But, uh, but my focus is ministry. My focus is school. And his pastor looked at him and said, you are an idiot. God's literally, but you're telling God how you're going to meet and fall in love and how this thing's all going to work out. So get her number and take her on a date. What's wrong with you? We, we, have, we have silly things that, we, call, that we, we, we pass off as spiritual. In John chapter 11, worship team, y'all can start making your way here. Has this been good? It's no, it's no time right now to be stalled out. Let's make progress. Kingdom progress. Always advancing. Always moving forward. Amen? John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume, wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death. But it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. (laughs) He loved them so much. He hung out. 
right? I mean, well, what's wrong with this verse? We know it should read, he loved them so much that he immediately got up and left and journeyed to Bethany and healed the, healed the man before he died. Sometimes we get so in tune with what we know God's word says about a situation. And we, we, we become so mindful of, okay, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to endure, but I'm not going to endure this. And I know he can do it this way. I've seen him do it that way before. I know if I do it, if I follow this formula and this pattern. But Jesus said, at the end of the day, this is all for the glory of the Lord. And he said this, this sickness will not end in death. Probably the biggest part of this element, point number three, what you thought it would be, is what does the ending really look like? Is it over when we think it's over? Is it over when the doctor says it's over? Or could there be more produced? You skip on down to verse 32 in this same passage. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you had been here, I wouldn't have had to go through this. If you had moved, if you had healed when I went down front, if you had brought the reconciliation when my heart was ready to respond with forgiveness, if you had done, and God is up in heaven saying, who said I was done? I just said it wouldn't end in death. I didn't say as long as he doesn't die, it's over. I said, even if he does die, he'll live again. I said, he'll live again. Maybe we're calling it too soon. But maybe if we could get the eyes of heaven, the perspective of heaven, and say, God, you must be up to something. This isn't quite going the tangent that I thought we were on. I may not know exactly what you're up to, but I know you're going to use it. And I know that all things work out together for the good of those who love him and are called according to the purpose. I may not like how it's progressing, how it's advancing. You know, have you ever noticed that sometimes what feels like three steps backward is actually a step forward? The enemy wants to trip us up in seasons like this. By getting us focused on what it was, I had it better when. What it is, this is never going to change, never going to turn around. Or even by using our faith and our expectation against us to box in what God is trying to do. This is where faith is really put to the test. This is where faith is really strengthened. This is where faith is really encouraged. How do we progress? How do we advance? How do we move forward? How do we keep from growing stale? We keep our faith and our trust in God. Not stuff, not ways, not patterns in his word. He said it from the very beginning. 
The sickness will not end in death. He told them outright. That's all they needed to know. That's all you need to know. It's not over yet. He's still working. He's still moving. He's still good. He's still a good, good father. His goodness is chasing you. His goodness is running you down. Mr. David down here on the front after our, our uh, pre-service stopped me and said, you know, sometimes we're running so hard we never stop to just look around and just see what he is doing. And all the running and all the hustle and bustle and all the, you know, a lot of people, they, they fill the month of December with distractions. Because if I just sit still, all I'm going to think about is everything that broke. Well, what if you could sit still and Think of all the ways it could have gone, but it didn't. All the ways it should have happened, but it didn't. Find a way, find the ways that God is moving on your behalf. That's why a weekend of gratitude and 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 even a day of reflecting on God's goodness postures our heart not to receive a miracle, but to steward. I believe there's miracles in this room in the next 33 days. Before the end of this year, you will see what you've believed for. But will he do it in spite of your heart or because of your heart? Will he do it in spite of my grumbling and complaining and just my my lackadaisical effort to get through this year so I can just turn the calendar? Your life doesn't change when the calendar changes. You flip the page on the calendar, but you may not flip the page on your life. But can we watch and see how God is working and moving in every situation? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.